Welcome to another great week here on Brit David Podcast. Today, we continue our walk through the book of Luke as Pastor Tim shares a message from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, entitled, Faith in the Face of the Improbable. Pastor Tim states, they say that faith can't be trusted until it's been tested. It is certainly true that I discover the depth and strength of my faith when trials overwhelm me. Today, we get to look at a man whose faith was so deep and so strong in the midst of trial that even Jesus marveled at him. Here's Pastor Tim. Well, that's good. In fact, as we have, uh, as we've sung, that's what we're studying today. I hope you have your Bible. Uh, go ahead and turn with me there to Luke chapter number seven as we continue on in our study through the Gospel of Luke. We have made it to chapter number seven, and I want you to see today an amazing and incredible um, example of faith, of what really living by faith is all about. In fact, what we really want to talk about today is living by that kind of faith, even in the face of what seems improbable. You know, they say that uh, faith isn't really faith until it's been tested. And the faith that you're going to see today in this passage is certainly faith that's tested And you've lived long enough that you have lived through some kind of test, some kind of trial, when you've had to to depend upon the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. You know, it it comes a a point to when those trials, when they're physical, when they are emotional, when they are relational, even when they're spiritual, that sometimes the only place that you have to turn is to the one true living God. And that's what I want you to see in this passage today. We know that we're supposed to, right? I mean, we know that the Bible says that we're to live by faith and not by sight, just as we're singing. By the way, uh, Sean, I like that new song. That was a good one. I I didn't know the tune. Kind of made that one up as I went along. I made up a few words as I went along. (laughs) But when we got to the part about living by faith and not by sight, I thought that's exactly what we're talking about today. Can I can I bore you with uh, with a personal story? Uh, You probably get as much tired of hearing about this as I get tired of telling it. Uh, But uh, I told him in the first service, I said, if you're not if you're not aware that you know I've had this third hip surgery. And then I said, even if you are aware, I still have had this third hip surgery. So anyway, it's been a long year, you know, and when the doctor first told me what the problem was and we're going to have the surgery and we're going to fix it, and I thought, yep, that's what we're going to do. And in two weeks, I'm going to be better, you know. I'm going to be out doing whatever it is I want to do. And two weeks came and went, and I wasn't doing nothing what I wanted to do. And then three and four and five and 50 weeks, you know, kind of went by. And, uh, you know, so by the time we get to surgery number three, I mean, I just have to be honest with you. My faith's a little shaky at that point. You know, I'm a little gun shy when it comes. You know, I mean, the first surgery, I'm like, yes, we're going to do it. It's going to be great. And the second surgery, well, I mean, okay, I understand. You kind of have to have a follow-up. It's, it's going to be good, you know. And then you have the third surgery, you're just kind of going, yeah, we'll see, you know. By the way, it feels better than it's felt in a whole year, you know. Yeah, that is, I, I, I applaud that too. You know, but I had a little setback this week. And, you know, what does that, what does that do to your faith? 
You know, you, you see God working, and then, you know, and your faith is bolstered, you know? Maybe, maybe for you it is a physical trial, like, like kind of this example I'm pulling on. You know, if it is that and you see some progress physically, suddenly you, you begin to see some progress spiritually. But then you have a physical setback. What does that do to your faith? It's supposed to be at that point that I am leaning on, I'm depending on that faith instead of my faith now taking a back seat and suddenly I am overwhelmed by what I see, by the sight part of that. Listen, a natural man cannot live by faith. He can't. He doesn't, he doesn't have the capacity to do that. He doesn't have the faith that's inside of him to draw on. But those of you that are born again aren't natural. The Bible says that you're to be spiritual you are to depend upon that faith so that when those setbacks come or when the bad news comes or when, when some problem arises, when the trial is at hand, you can depend upon Him no, mat no matter what comes your way. I want to have that kind of faith, you know? I want to have that kind of faith that no matter what comes my way, I trust the Lord. I know that everything goes through His hands first. I know that nothing happens to me that He's not already acutely aware of and that He allows to happen in my life. And if He's allowing it to happen, then it is for His glory and it is for His good. I mean, it's for my good, right? So I should be able to trust Him. He knows. He knows where He's headed with those trials. He knows what's in store for me. I know that I can trust Him. Sometimes, though, it's hard to get that from up here to down here, isn't it? The story that we read about today is a story of a man who has the kind of faith that I want to have. In fact, let me, let me go ahead and tell you this. There are only two times in the New Testament where the Bible says that Jesus went, wow. You know, I mean, he, he really doesn't literally say wow. You know, if it's King James, it's wow-with. Anyway, but he didn't say that. It just, the Bible says that he marvels. You know, what, what is it that could make the creator and the sustainer of the universe marvel? You know, what could really make him go, wow? There are two occasions. Both of them have to do with the area of faith. And one of them we get to see today. In our passage. In fact, you know, like uh, some movies do, they, uh, they show you the end of the movie first, you know, they show you the final scene, and then they kind of go back and show you how they got there, you know, before they return to it. It's kind of what we're going to do. So anyway, you're in Luke 7. Don't start in verse 1 just yet. Let's skip all the way down to verse number 9. I want you to see this climax of the story. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. He said, wow. He marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. You might expect it to be in Israel. You might expect it to be, you know, some rabbi somewhere who has this incredible amount of faith. I mean, he's been studying the scriptures. He ought to have it in droves. But the great faith is not there. The great faith is in this Roman centurion that we get to read about today. 
Somebody who is the most unlikely candidate to have great faith. And Jesus says, wow, that faith is marvelous. I want that marvelous kind of faith. I want you to have that marvelous kind of faith. So let's talk about that a little bit today. How do you have the kind of faith that the Roman centurion had in whatever trial it is that you face? Let me give you two great truths today. The first one is this. You need to make sure that your faith is accurately pointed. That your faith is accurately pointed. That it's pointed in the right direction. You know, that you have the right object of your faith. You know, they say it's not the, it's not the size of your faith that's as important as the object of your faith. It's kind of what Jesus said, didn't it? Jesus said if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, then you could tell a mountain to get up and move and it would move. So it's not about the size of your faith that makes it great. It is the object of your faith that makes it great. Because your faith is in the great one. Your faith is in the great I am. Your faith is in the one who can do anything, who can do everything. The object of your faith is the real key when it comes to this. You know, in Psalm chapter 20 and verse number 7, the Bible says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Listen, your friend... Even if, even if your friend you know, is greater than Billy Graham, that friend is not worthy of your faith. Your bank account, no matter how large it is, not even if it's as big as Sean's, you, you, you cannot put your faith in that. You can't put your faith in your job. You can't put your faith in your family. You can't put your faith in anything, not even the church. Your faith has to be pointed at Jesus. So how does a Roman centurion get to the point to where his faith is not in Rome, it's not in his great army, it's not in the hundred men that's underneath his direction? How does he get to this point of knowing Jesus? There are two things I want to share with you about that. It's about how to point your faith in the right direction. Number one, his faith was sold on Jesus' ability. His faith was sold on Jesus' ability. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to verse number one. It says, now when Jesus concluded all his sayings, we're talking about the Sermon on the Plain that we looked at at length last Sunday. All right. Now when Jesus concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. Now look at verse number 3. So when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. The centurion didn't see Jesus. Centurion didn't see a miracle. Centurion didn't hear Jesus preach. What does it say? It said he heard about Jesus. He heard some reports. He heard about some of the things that Jesus had said. He heard some of the, about some of the things that Jesus had taught. He heard about some of the things that Jesus had claimed concerning himself. He heard about the fact that Jesus 
touch somebody and heal them. And then he simply does what you and I do. You know, when we need that bolster our faith, we begin to look at some other people, maybe within our family or within our church family, and we say, if Jesus can do that for them, then Jesus can do that for me. Right? That's, that's, that's all he's doing. He's heard about Jesus, and he figures if Jesus can do that for them, then Jesus can do that for him. He's sold. I mean, he is, he is convinced just by the hearing. You say, Tim, that's, that's not enough. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. How did he gain great faith in Jesus' ability? He heard. He heard what Jesus could do, and now he's convinced that Jesus can do that for him. I want you to notice that he has a tie, not only to his community, he has a tie into the synagogue in that community that's so strong that he can gain not his servants. The Bible doesn't say that he sent his servants. It says in verse number 3 that he sent elders of the Jews to Jesus to plead with him. Maybe he thinks because Jesus is Jewish, then the elders of the Jews may be more compelling, you know, whatever it is. For whatever reason, he chooses them and sends them to go talk to Jesus and just, just plead with him. Ask him. I mean, I know I'm not an Israelite. I know that my servant is not an Israelite. But if he would please come and just touch my servant... I believe that he can heal my servant in the same way that he healed that person that I heard about. You know? That's what they do. Kind of. Kind of what they do. They kind of take matters a little bit into their own hands. Yes, they go to Jesus. And yes, the Bible says not only they plead with him, they beg Jesus to come. But the words of the elders are not the words of the centurion. We have a quote. It's just that it's the quote from the elders. Look, if you will, pick it up in verse number 4. When they came to Jesus, they begged Him earnestly, so far so good, saying that the one for whom He should do this was worthy. Womp, womp. Here comes the quote in verse number 5. For He loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. We're coming back to verse number 5 in just a little bit. And look at what it says in verse 6. Then Jesus went with them. <laughs> he went anyway. All right? He went with them. And when he was ready, I mean, when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends. It's not the elders this time. still not his servants. This time he's sending genuine friends. They're able not to just simply kind of take the idea that the centurion had and kind of put it in their own words. This time they used the words of the centurion himself. Look at what they say. Centurion sent his friend saying to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But you say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. 
And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Stop there. So the centurion is already sold on the, on the ability of Jesus. Jesus has the ability to touch somebody and to heal them. But does Jesus really have authority over disease? Does he really have authority over people? Does he have the authority to do this or is it just some kind of trick? Where he goes in his statement he is showing us that he's also convinced of his authority. So number two, faith that's faith that'll help you, faith to live by, is submitted to Jesus' authority. So it's one thing to believe in Jesus' ability. I believe Jesus can do anything. But do you believe that Jesus has authority over everything? Does he have his authority over everything that he has authority over you, right? Whether you ever yield to him or not, you know. He's the Lord. <laughs> Even if you don't submit, he's still the Lord, right? He still has authority. But my proper response... Listen, the only proper response to authority is to yield to it, to submit to it, to surrender myself to it. Now, I told him earlier in that, in that early service, I don't, I don't want to dig into this too far, but, but let me give you this just simply as an example. What Some of the things that we've seen in the news of late. If a person gets pulled over, for a traffic violation or whatever it is. And then we've seen on the news how that begins to escalate. Maybe it escalates into gunfire, it escalates into, you know, the person finally face down on the concrete, you know, in handcuffs, whatever it is. All you got to do is put your hands up here. All you got to do is do what the person in authority tells you to do, right? And all that stuff goes away. Now listen, in the Christian life, for us, if you would stop demanding your way, declaring your worth, and simply surrender and submit to what God is doing in your life, some of the troubles that you see would go away. We don't like to do that, do we? We don't like to have anybody over us. We want to be the captain of our own soul. We want to be the guardian of our own goods. We want to do things our way, right? We want to go out like, uh, oh, what's his name? I did it my way, right? That's terrible. <laughs> That's terrible. I don't want to do it my way. My way gets me in trouble. My way is always, it's always wrong. And his way is always right. If I would simply yield to him, submit to him the way that this man does. This is a guy who understands authority and he understands submission. To the point that he says to his servant, you go and he goes. Or, or come and he comes or do this and he does it. He understands that even though he is the one who is in charge of a hundred men even though his army are the occupiers of Israel and they have Israel under their thumb, that he is under the authority of Jesus. Jesus has the right to tell you what to do. 
Jesus has the right to tell you what not to do. Because Jesus has authority over you. And if you would yield to that, surrender to that, submit to that, then it would go a long way in living a life of obedience and living a life of faith. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim shares the conclusion to the message from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Faith in the face of the improbable. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at BritDavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.